Carrie, hurry up, quick. I gotta tell you something, what happened on Friday morning. All right. Okay. I'm here, what's up? I, I, pretty intense, man. Pretty intense, actually. I wanna kinda say that before I start talking about it. But I woke up early, and uh, after a while, I started. I went to Aftonbladet, right? Aftonbladet, like I told you before, is the Swedish uh, newspaper. All right. And I saw on Aftonbladet that a truck has been driving through Drottninggatan in Stockholm. And Drottninggatan is one of the busiest streets in the heart of Stockholm, like right in the Stockholm, right? And I'm not sure how much you have followed, but um, it was a, a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a call from CNN that asked me to come in immediately. I just got dressed and took uh, Uber right to the CNN center. And I didn't know that much. Mm. You know, it kind of recently happened. I woke up, I read the news, I got a call, and I just went in. And, you know, once you come in to, to CNN, you have to go through the security. And one of the persons from the international desk came down. I got checked in. And on the way up, she asks, asks me, how good are you at simultaneous translation? Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, something you've done before with uh, Turkish media. But yeah, I see it every now and then. Right. So I actually, I've never done it before. Oh, no. Oh, I've, I never, done, I've oh. never done simultaneous translation. Mm. Simultaneous translation is uh, when someone speaks, you know, in this case, when someone speaks in Swedish, yeah. I translate it live right. to Swedish. And I've never done something like that. I've been doing other translation work for CNN. But that was for Turkish. Right. Never. It was not simultaneous? Never simultaneous. Oh, okay. Never simultaneous. So I was like, um, yeah, I feel comfortable doing that since it's Swedish. So, sure. And they said, okay, uh, get ready. You're going to do it soon. So we come up. We went through the door. We come up. I say hi to the people. And the executive director, she also asks me, are you good at, or how do you feel about doing a simultaneous translation? I'm like, no, I, I, I'm up for a challenge. Um, I want to do my best, you know? Yeah. And, uh, all right, let's go. I'm like, I didn't, you know, I didn't even have coffee, nothing. Like, let's go. And uh, the, within five minutes, the press conference was going to start. So they couldn't open the door to the audio room. And once they opened, I could see on one monitor that the press conference was about to start. On the other one, I could see the live CNN. And um, so you kind of take on the headphones and you also had a mic in front of you. So we didn't have any time to really get prepared. And in this, in this intense situation, it's like you're in this small room, right? You're in this small room. And you hear the press conference about to start, but it's very loud. And you speak into the microphone where you really hear your voice too, which is very uncommon, you know. It's awkward, yeah, sure. Very awkward. So then the press conference starts. There was a terrorist attack, and um, they don't want to confirm how many people are injured or dead. And uh, But they, can, they don't know if more people. So it's very loose right now but they gave the information and it, it was intense man after after i did this i was like almost about to cry because it's unfortunate yeah sad it, this terror 
somehow reached to Stockholm, you know? And in most of the tragedies, when it happens, is uh, you want to have a positive, a good response. And Real Madrid this weekend, they had a silent minute mm. for the victims. And st- people in Stockholm, they um, immediately on social media had open Stockholm hashtag, okay? So whoever they was stuck in the central city or was shocked or hurt or confused, they could um, go to these people's homes and, and kind of, you know, settle a bit. And uh, man, uh, it was it was not easy once the press conference started because you could see on the left side that they straight went to the press conference and then I realized, wait a minute, my voice is going to be on CNN. Yeah. And uh, I said to myself, you're not trained, you've never done this before, but you have to step up, you have to do your part. And if I can do something, something like this, uh, in any help to reach out with the, whatever the information is, then then somehow I've done what I can do, even though I'm not in Sweden. And I want to say that I'm very proud of the Swedish people that they have united after a tragedy like this. And that's also um, very important to remember. Mm, very proud of, uh, if I may, very proud of the soccer community as well, Real Madrid. Um, maybe there were others, I don't know. Um, that also, you know, gave their respects. It's nice how the world can come together in this when tough situations like this arise. I agree. I agree. And... I think both of me, both me and you, are on the same page that we really see the power in people coming together and unite mm-hmm. and uh, and seek the truth and justice. Yeah. Welcome to Oscotch and King Soccer Podcast Show. show. Speak about and express my condolences. To the victims, or what? To the people that happened today. This is a sad moment for the people who know them and to the victims. And I can say from the Swedish police side, and speaking for us, we will do everything we can to find who's behind this attack. Put them in responsible. What do we know? What happened? Well, you know that week. We... A truck drove into Donning Garden and drove into Olens, into a shop. We have contact with the man that usually drives his truck. There are, like you know, many people that have injured. We cannot right now confirm how many people have passed away or injured because it is so short into the incident. So it's better that we are waiting for it to confirm it once we know. I don't know if you watched Atlanta United. I managed to f- follow the news afterwards, but I didn't watch the game. Did you see it? I've Did watched see- it. Yeah? Tell I me how it went. It. 
it was actually nice to I think it was a new experience for me because it was a Saturday night or Saturday evening game right yeah. and I think I never watched a game like a Saturday evening that way so and I didn't go out so I was home and I had the computer but I had the speaker mm. loud on the game mm. and uh, Wow, man, you know, Atlanta United played against Toronto FC that has one of the best attacking players in the league, aren't probably they? Probably, Sebastian Juvenco, probably the best player. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it goes without saying, he's the best player in the league for the past three seasons, I think. Right. And, you know, he could be the best player the league's he, ever seen. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good. And... Uh, he plays together with Joseph Altador, and it feels like they are complementing each other very yeah. really well. Oh, yeah. Uh, you guys saw the highlight for the Giovinco's goal. It was nice. I can't remember who Oof. passed it in. Might have been Giovinco that passed Maybe it in Maybe even was it, yeah. I can't remember, but a nice little chip into the box. Altador with the back heel to Giovinco was pretty. And he just plays it. What a finish. Really yeah. good. Really good. And uh, You could see the class in Toronto FC, to be honest. They, yeah. They had that one extra step. Yeah, they were finalists last year. So right. Run, runners up. Right. So. And uh, for, in that context, Atlanta United do really well. Mm. Like, really well. Atlanta United scored very early on, and I was, like, you know, screaming because I was not surprised, but it was nice to score an early goal yeah. in a, such an important game away. Yeah, yeah. really. Uh and uh, without, Hector, say, Hector Vialba with the goal. Yes. Uh, nice yes. goal, long ball over the top. Right. And ran onto it um, fast. But uh, to do this still with Atlanta without Joseph Martinez, top, who was top scorer uh, up until his injury. And man, uh, they're still, it's almost like they, they barely miss him. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. That's what hit me, right? Yeah. It, throughout the game, it was like uh, Vialba, mm. you know, really delivered. And you don't have Joseph Martinez, and you also have Almiron that Ooh, is really good. Man. And uh, you yeah, see, I think he played that assist, I think. Yeah, man. yeah, and really, you know, gave us a bit joy because I think this is a team that really up there, and, and if they can be consistent with the results, they will do will do really well. I mean, uh, their last two games away to Seattle and Toronto who were the two finalists last season and mm-hmm. came away with good ties where they you know competed were right in it competed well with them you know uh, Assad got a red card it was pretty uh, unfair I think the ref called it a elbow in the head and gave a straight red card and when it, once you look at the replay it's very tough I mean it was kind of a I guess incidental I suppose his arm was a little high but uh, you tell he's just—it was like an accident, which is yeah. kind of rough. Yeah, it didn't uh, look like he was on purpose. No, and he's just trying to you know get get better cover, better uh, you know position over exactly. the ball. Exactly. And uh, he just maybe kind of got the uh, Toronto player in the head. So I'm not sure what would happen if he still would be in and then put uh, Jones into. Yeah. Maybe Atlanta could have won. Yeah. But two two, we take that. You yeah, know? We the take elbow that. with the second goal as yeah. well. So he's stepping up. Well, yep, we take that, you know, that's Absolutely. a good score for us. Uh, what game did you follow or kind of read about? So I read, did read about that one. And uh, I also, while I was out, read about Barcelona, man. Oof. Barcelona. Uh, surprising, huh? Very surprising. Trying to keep pace with Real Madrid. Yeah. And losing away to Malaga. 
It was hard. Which, I know. It was. I mean, Neymar, Neymar got himself a red card. Uh, speaking of red cards. Except this one was, I'd say, pretty well deserved. He just sort of lost his temper completely. Flew off the handle. Uh, I mean, the discussion was more about what he had, what he said afterwards. Yeah, yeah. That might give him some disciplinary punishment. He might miss a classico, I think. Really? I think so, yeah. See, I mean, it's surprising that he's doing it. That he's frustration. playing really well, I know. Yeah. That's what surprised me. Why yeah. is he He's so frustrated? But the last you know, few weeks, Neymar is probably Barcelona's best player. And That's when true. Neymar didn't play, Barcelona clearly struggled. So I don't know why, I mean... Everything was going well for him. I don't know where this frustration came from. All of a sudden, it was like boiled up like a volcano and it exploded. Yeah. And he has done it before. Yeah, we I was know about to that. Say, yeah. He has done it before. He's not afraid to, you know, stand up for himself or still say a few words back to you. But at this point, man, it's a bit disappointing, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. It's such uh, a key, key moment of the yeah. season as well. And key player for the team. Right, right. That was surprising. And Real Madrid. Played against Atletico Madrid. The big one. Big derby in Madrid. And I didn't see the entire game. I just saw highlights from it. Mm-hmm. But I got a different respect for Ronaldo after this game. Yeah? Yeah. I got a... He's a good player, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> we've been saying that for so long. But more I see, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, and Slatan Ibrahimovic, the more respect I get. Even though... I've been respecting them so much before they keep raising that bar. Right, yeah. I think uh, Ronaldo's got a lot of criticism Yeah, know, this past season or two, uh, especially because now he's past 30. I think he's 32 now. So he's on that de- supposedly on that downcline, uh, decline. Um, but, I mean, he still every, every season produces over and over again. Um, I think he has 19 goals this season with only Messi and Suarez ahead of him. Mm. And what's amazed me is he's shown maturity in that he's changed his role so that he's not... I mean, he's, I guess he still kind of starts out on the wing, but he's a lot more of like a traditional sort of number nine yeah. now. He doesn't just blow by players anymore on the wing with all the fancy steps as much anymore. A bit more team player as well. Yeah, sure. I think uh, he's becoming a bit more you know, uh, passing a lot more and not really always thinking about the goal, 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 even though that is a very important part yeah. of his game. Yeah, really. Uh, just a quick note, Slatan Ibrahimovic has scored 250 goals after he turned 30. Wow. This weekend. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. And that was a class goal. I mean, class goal in the sense of like, he gets a ball, he, he receives the ball, and Pogba makes a run. He kind of brings one or two players with him, and Slatan goes to the left, and then he takes a shot, basically not even looking at the goal, but relatively hard shot on the far post, low. And it, it's kind of like uh, what top strikers do, right? They, they know where the goal is, and they know how to get into those situations. I listened to, a interview, inter- I listened to an interview with Romelu Lukaku, and he was saying, the next step for me in my game is to create chances on my own when there are not chances. You know, like somehow get into the situations or somehow I can create. Right. And that's exactly what Ibrahimovic showed in this game. And it's uh, still, you know, like, wow. <laughs> still that he delivers. Yeah, yeah. 
Guess we're talking about Manchester United now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it, it, we go from one topic to the other. Manchester United did good. Uh, Chelsea's like always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I will say about you, Manchester United, yeah. is that uh, uh, and one thing for back to Ronaldo real fast is if Ibra can score two hundred, two hundred fifty after thirty years old. I mean, you say Ronaldo exactly. can as well. So exactly. Uh, but really, Ibra has just proves down time and time again how important he is for United how they probably rely on him too much mm-hmm. but he keeps on delivering over and over uh, without him he, their attack is toothless as they say yeah uh, they what are they they lost and tied I think their previous two games or two ties I forget with Ibra back now in full form full force after his suspension I mean instantly <laughs> I mean powers into a th- easy 3-0 win away. yeah and he shows that difference right when he's not on the field and when he's on the field mm-hmm. in the score uh, in the scores and I've noticed something uh, I've observed something maybe you cannot really take it as a fact because it's a subjective observation 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 yeah. observation observation but it feels like that there is a big conflict with pundits or Ibrahimovic importance for the team they say kind of like uh, a club like United should not rely on one player yeah, a team this. like uh, yeah. uh, Manchester should not just have one big player or what if United uh, what if Slatan is not there what then what is the next steps they should think about longer term mm. and I bet all the Man U fans are like, thank you, thank you for, you know, having Ibrahimovic, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the I one mean, that... if they didn't have him, then where would they be? Oh, my God. So, you know, like, yeah. oh, my God, would you have Rune up there? Would he deliver like that? I don't think so. Not quite. He's changing his game, too. I mean, I don't think so. And has he played in a wide leader? Exactly, so, yeah. Uh, um, so, I kind of noticed something like that. Uh, the pundits I've seen, I've seen, those, I've seen pundits mention that as well and I don't know if you agree with it or not I, I think that's true I think uh, it is strange for Manchester United to be so reliant on one player mm-hmm. but they have the one player the rest of the players aren't good enough although they have some other good players too but they just aren't like Pogba <laughs> and Mkhitaryan but they just aren't performing so they forced to rely on one player at the moment so might as well keep doing it if he's producing for you so but i think the discussion comes out of that he is actually the only one that delivers and the other ones are not really showing any promise or anything any promise or productivity and scoring and assists right i mean you still have rooney that was very important before they did amazing like 30 goals in one season ronaldo did it and there was no way really a discussion about United cannot just rely on Ronaldo. Well, wait a minute. It was also a very important player, yet they had others yeah. that were good too. Right. But I feel, I feel like somehow they are taking away the team effort in it, you know? Mm. I still think Herrera does a great job. I still think uh, when Kerry plays, does good. Um, I like Mata as well, as well. Exactly, exactly. However, it's a fair... Someone like Rashford, Martial, right. maybe Pogba, that is the world's most expensive player. Yeah, we wish they had scored more goals. They yeah. all had the chances. Right. So that should not be put on Ibra. That should more or less be put on the 
the players they're not really delivering. I think that's what they're saying. I believe is that maybe that exactly. Like I don't think I don't think anyone's criticizing Ibra for playing well and being the only person mm-hmm. they rely on. It is more of an indictment on. It should be anyway more of an indictment on Pogba not stepping up or Rashford not stepping up or Martial. You know, interesting if interesting to see where their development goes. Right. Yeah. I mean, they also have good talents in Lingard. But someone that is very similar to Lingard is Deli Ali. Mm. And Deli Ali is 20 years old and already scored like 26 goals and 14 assists in the first 63 games of Premier League that he has played. And that stats That's right nice there, stat. it's really incredible. Like Steven Gerrard had something like six goals and four assists. Hmm. after like 63 games hmm. and he was not even 20 <laughs> you know so a very bright future for Dele Ali and uh, Tottenham right now man. yeah I know I mean Tottenham Dele Ali and Harry Kane they've got that like English duo that's such a bright future Oof. for England plus they have you know Eric Dyer Rose uh, Kyle Walker as well true you know, so they've got uh, that nice English core that's producing week in, week week out, solid. But Deli Alley is such a pleasure to watch. He's someone too that I've noticed though. He's got like a, he can get a you know a bit of a temper. Like he can let his temper get the better of him, and he'll get himself a dumb red card. He's done it a couple of times the past couple of seasons. But, I think you need it. Yeah, I mean, I think you need that sort of passion for sure. You shouldn't let it boil over to the point that it you know hurts you or hurts the team. True. So true. But I mean, yeah, he's such a fun fun, fun player to watch. But the wrestles goes their way, man. They yeah. don't look um, scary or nervous. Or uh, there's there are not there are not that many games where you see Tottenham and panic because of wrestles. Yeah, they had that last week. Now the last week when they kind of came back after t- with two oh, yeah. goals after eighty minutes. Mm. But other than that, they haven't done that much of like panicking. Uh, and that was honestly good. Uh, you know, on them to come back from big time. What was it two down? I think yeah. or one or two down. One down, I think, and they uh, came to right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and to get that, get the result. Uh, one more on Deli Alley. He scored a ridiculous goal on uh this past weekend against Watford. You see it curled that from like twenty twenty five yards out to the far post. Beautiful. Looks so simple. <laughs> yeah, I know he did make it look so simple. He just painted it into the far post. Man, 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 man. He's a quality player, right? And it seems like there's a lot of harmony at Tottenham. So usually you would think like, okay, maybe someone like Dele Ali would go to a different club. Yeah. You know, maybe Real Madrid will knock on the door. They've done it before with Tottenham top players. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other clubs out there that players... Harry Kane is a, big, is a target for Real Madrid, so... <laughs> See? Yeah. See, or even, you know... But they never really consider other big teams in Europe. I'm thinking about... A big derby in Germany. It was uh, it was Bayern Munich Dortmund. Right. right. And you Pulisic boy, he did he did pretty good. I think he subbed got subbed in, mm. and had a um, almost a breakthrough and got a free kick. <laughs> I mean, it's good that he it's good that uh you know he showed some energy. He always seems to provide a spark whether he starts or comes off the bench but it's good that they can you know rely on him and a lot of the other players at Dortmund tough situation though because Dortmund uh, yeah Dortmund were 
were down by uh by a couple of goals yeah. in that game. Yeah. Uh Bayern just their class just came through early on. They got I, a couple goals early. Bayern. They had it, man. And and uh, I remember Lewandowski had a good chance and then Aubameyang had a good chance and all of a sudden it became a game about all of a sudden it felt like it was a game between Lewandowski and Aubameyang about the top goal scorer. I like that. And uh, Lewandowski had a free kick and beautifully just curved it in, man. Yeah. I think he scored a good one for Poland at the past uh, international break, too. I wouldn't be surprised after this weekend's goal, man. He just curved it in really nice. But one player, man. Wow. Adrian Robin. I mean, I don't know how many times the commentator was saying, like, even though you know that he's going to go left, yeah, you're still not <laughs> managing to cover it or you take the ball from him, you know? And uh, almost want to say that he's one of the best, almost the best one-on-one player yes. right now in mm-hmm. the world, man. Like, he always somehow manages to pass the player, dribble past the player and... He scored like two goal. He scored one goal. Yeah. On by bending to the far post like usual. As he does. But he had many chances like that. Yeah. As he does. I mean, it is. It's almost funny. Uh, and I guess you could say it's almost a criticism of Robin. I mean, he does the same thing over and over again. Yet. <laughs> Yet. I mean, okay. he, no one's able to stop him. Uh-uh. I don't know if that's bad on the defense because they just aren't, you know, how they know what he's gonna do, but they don't stop him. Or if that's that speaks on how good Robin is. Yeah. The defense knows what he's going to do, yet they still can't stop him. Man, that's a mystery, dude. I know, it really is. It really is. But I mean, every single time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, I know he's going to go, if I'm the defender, right? I know he's going to go right and shoot with his left. Yeah. What? He just did it. It's got to be the classic definition, if you heard the term, inverted winger. That's what, like, Ronaldo's been. Those mm. people, like, left-footed but play on the right. Yeah. Or right-footed but play on the left. Robin's got to be the classic definition Oof. of left-footed Oof. player playing on the right, cutting inside, shooting. If you want to sh- teach someone that, you just say, Aaron and Robin, spend all your hours on watching him doing it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, if you study him well, I think you can pick up one or two things that you can add to your own soccer game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, honestly, I'd like to talk to him about his goals i wonder if it's something that he thinks about that he you know his there's such a i guess repetitiveness and i don't want to sound you know uh uh in his goals no i mean he knows for sure yeah. he made it to a strength at this point he must, you yeah. know he always knows that when it comes to that space exactly what to do so somehow he has that muscle memory you know, it's almost okay. like a basketball yeah, yeah. player that always does the same kind of move. Mm. So they're always familiar in what to do when they come to that situation. Mm. And I think it's similar to Aaron, but it would be interesting to see how he has developed this over the years. Yeah. Like how much he has actually practiced on this. And, uh, you know, every time he places it on the far post. Yeah, every time, pretty much. Uh good accuracy as well i disagree with what you'd say about best one-on-one player in the world i'd ah. say he'd probably be second to eden hazard personally but uh chelsea winning again this weekend <laughs> and he's in form yeah absolutely he's in form absolutely he's in form and even though the game was a bit shaky for chelsea they got that second goal 
Yeah. And once the free they, kick, was it the free kick? Free kick, yeah. yeah. From Alonso. And once they have that second goal, it's kind of like impossible to come back against this Chelsea team. And I'm trying to like have discussions in my own head about if Chelsea wins this season, are they the kind of the best team ever in Premier League over the entire season? Like just that question, right? The effectiveness, the productivity, the sharpness, the stab, the, the consistency. Like, are they the best team in those terms? But then we also know Arsenal, uh, the invisible year, you know, they didn't lose one game the entire season. So maybe it's a tough discussion to have. That is, that's a tough one. But I think it's a good one. You can, I mean, there's also the trouble year of Manchester United, uh, right? True. But, uh, and I mean, Leicester won the league title. Not that Leicester is the best team, but I mean, they did win the league title by what, 10 points or so. That's That's pretty safe. But Chelsea is probably going to do something like that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Chelsea has, sorry, Chelsea had that one season, the first season that they won it, the Premier League. I forgot. They were way ahead, though. They, they were, won by like 15 true. points or something true. like that. <laughs> true. So. True. Maybe we can do an episode about that one day. Yeah. Where we can maybe really look into the season. Maybe even throw like a poll. A poll. What do other people think? Yeah. Where can they vote? They could vote on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or we can even set up maybe a poll on our website, oscarchingking.com. That's right. And see what you guys think about it. Now, we're going to talk about what we think about Arsenal's big loss against Crystal Palace. It was a tragedy that we experienced, me and Kerry, together. It was, it was, oh, man, it was, oh, man, it was... Oh, <laughs> no, I, that's it, right? I can't, I can't. Ah, uh, oh, man, it's, <laughs> it's um, very hard to believe. Like before the game. Well, the thing is, for me, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, before the game, Arsenal had a good squad. I think even they put out the best squad they have. You know, I I like the El Nenu and Chaka in the middle. I like that. Too. I don't want to have Coquelin at this game. And, uh, you know, at the back four, you have Monreal, Mustafi, Gabriel, and uh, Hector Bellerin. Yeah. You don't have anyone else at no, this point. Shelley's injured, so. Exactly. Yeah, for Gabriel. And you have Theo Walcott, Ozil, and uh, Alexis Sanchez, and Welbeck on the top. And those top four are good. Yeah, I like that. I and, think Welbeck should continue to play on the top. Me too, me too. And then when I saw Crystal Palace top four, I was immediately like, Wait a minute. They are good too. They are, yeah. You have Christian Benteke, you have Punchum, you have Towson. Yeah, Kabai. Kabai. And Zaha as well. And Zaha, exactly. So I was like, okay, they have, you know, dangerous players as well. But, oh man, they didn't come out, man. They didn't come out at, at all. Well, I guess I will say, that, I mean, yeah, Arsenal had the best squad they could given, like, injuries. So, like, in addition to Koscielny injured, uh, Czech wasn't able to play. So, Emilio Martinez was in goal. Um, I think he did well, man. I think he did pretty well yeah. as well, yeah. Um, Until the penalty. Yeah, he gave away a rather silly penalty. A needless penalty. Hector Bellerin was there, was clearly able to, you know, shield the ball or, yeah. or clear it away. But other than that, I think he did play well. Oh, that goes to show how that ch- that uh, Crystal Palace had chances to score, right? Some good, good chances to score. 
Uh, I, I think Arsenal in the first half had some decent chances, but in the second half, it was just no, no. But, you know, where I'm coming from, right? Where I'm coming from, and maybe you cannot really do this analysis or perspective, but where I'm coming from, Crystal Palace is one of the worst teams from London in the Premier League. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, historically, it's never been a great team. Uh, maybe. I saw, I mean, well. You know, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be offensive, right? I don't <laughs> with all due respect. We, okay, let's say like that. With all due respect. <laughs> You've been a bad team. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I mean, they, they are one point above relegation, I think, before this game. One or two points above relegation. Yeah. And we are fighting for Champions League. And that just says, where the teams are and yet they were the ones that came out the stronger uh more determined and with a better game plan dude i listened to Allardyce's post-game interview and they i don't know what the question was but he gave such an analysis of how the tactics were and i was like this guy knows exactly what they're doing you know <laughs> and when Gary came out it said, you know, we were pretty leveled in the first half. We were pretty leveled. Are you kidding? They are going to be almost pretty leveled with us. We were almost pretty leveled, he said. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, I was like, what are you saying? That's not a good thing. It's better, oh, yeah. man. You know, is that the bar? Is that the bar? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's a tragic. I uh, mean, you can see how Crystal Palace... Sam Allardyce is a pretty organized mm -hmm. manager. And you can see how Crystal Palace, they always defend with plenty of numbers. And I see with Arsenal, they go then they go for with those players, Zaha and Townsend and... Uh, uh, taken. Yes, but... Uh, Which you look one, like. The other one. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one, who was captain, uh, the Punchin, sorry, mm -hmm. Jason Punchin. Mm -hmm. Those super fast, tricky wingers, yeah. tricky players... You know they're going to be a threat on the counterattack. That's their game. And so they were. <laughs> but so they're efficient like, with the counterattack. It's almost like Chelsea. Like a lower, much lesser Chelsea. But uh, they're so fast and quick and efficient on the counterattack. Yet they defended with so many numbers and very well organized. Yeah. I could see the organization yeah. of not to dive in. Know when to pressure the ball. Yeah. When to just sort of shield the ball. And then I look at Arsenal and they defend with hardly... They don't bring players back to defend. They leave so many spaces open. It's like they're Arsenal are always, you know, it's like Arsenal are always playing a game in like the last minutes where they're losing when you know you're mm. supposed to throw everybody forward mm -hmm. and uh, and get punished by it and get punished by it. Yeah, there's just no organization or seems no sort of training at all for the back. That's why for me, you said it was a. Such a disappointment, I think you said at the top. Yeah. For me, it's not that too much of a disappointment. I was, I'm not too surprised by it. That's what sucks. Yeah. That's what sucks. That sucks, man. It sucks. Because I don't know if it was one week ago or two weeks ago, we talked about can we get more disappointed? And we said maybe we would. Hmm. And yet we sit here even more disappointed than we would imagine to feel knew kind of it could happen I mean <laughs> it is still disappointing but I'm just not too surprised anymore I mean apparently Arsenal I saw Arsenal's last four away games they give up 12 goals three goals in each of their last four away games 
that's that's not that's not good for a Champions League winning team, let alone a Premier League winning team or Champions League qualifying team, let alone a Premier League winning team. Well, we all know what needs to be done. <laughs> you don't even need to say it. I don't need to you don't say even it. Need to say it. If you know what I'm talking about, then you probably know it's truth as well. I know exactly how you feel. You can hear what they think. Like a shadow in the dark. Are you even real? They will bring you down. Your weakness makes them win. You have to realize You're stronger than you think Cause once that you've seen What's on the other side You have to believe You can win this fight You know, think about it Whenever there is a soccer game, there is what? And you look in the big leagues in Europe There's at least 25,000 people that goes to the games, right? 25 maybe even 40 50 mm-hmm. goes to the games and it is usually friends you might go with your son you might go with your daughter uh, you might go with your girlfriend and uh, you might go alone and just meet up with random people yeah you might be tourists and you go there for the game love of the game for the passion for the enjoyment that you're going to witness a big event and it's tragic when someone can actually plan something to harm such a beautiful event or uh, event or time and space to come in with darkness into it and uh, i'm thinking about what happened a game between uh, france and germany it was i think it was a friendly game mm-hmm. that kind of was interrupted it was cancelled in the middle of the game and they were saying like it was a bomb that was detonated outside the stadium and one person tried to get in and uh, the cops you know discovered it in time and didn't let it happen so after he ran away uh, the bomb exploded and this was so loud that people in even in the stadium could hear it very loud and clear and in italy they use some bombs whatever you want to call it firecrackers firecrackers by loud right Mm. but this was different you know and uh, unimaginable that something like this could happen almost like from the batman movie uh, you know the dark rises again when the entire football stadium just collapses right and uh, let's hear how the bomb sounded when you watch it on tv okay at least three people have died and several more have been injured following an apparent suicide bombing at the stade de france in paris the blast was heard during a friendly between France and Germany at the National Stadium in Paris. Police later confirmed there were three simultaneous bombings, including two suicide attacks near the stadium. The blast occurred near two of the stadium entrances and at a nearby McDonald's restaurant. French President François Hollande had been at the start of France but left shortly after the explosions after reports of a hostage situation at the Bataclan concert hall. After the match, footage shows hundreds of people running onto the pitch. They were then guided by police through the stadium's exit tunnels. French football fans sang the French national anthem during the evacuation. You know, that's 
always found that little clip interesting because if you see the clip, yeah, uh, it shows the camera like shows Patrice Everett get the ball on the left side, and then right then you hear the big bang noise go off in in the in the background, and even then, first you hear like don't you hear sometimes you hear the, the crowd sort of cheer or they Kinda, make some sort of noise. Beginning. Yeah, they might have thought it's a firecracker yeah. like you like they do in Italy or so. So maybe cheering. Right. But uh, you see Patrice Everett get the ball, and then the the bang goes off, and then he. He keeps playing, but he sort of hesitates for a moment, which is interesting. He hesitates and, like, looks up and points, almost like he's saying, what was that? But then he just plays the ball back and gets on with it. He definitely reacts. Yeah, he does. He kind of, like, makes uh, another look, around, not around the stadium, but, like, another, like, look what that was. Yeah. And then kept playing. And shortly after, they canceled the game and uh, brought out everyone from the stadium. And, man, what a tragedy that it could have been. But they prevented it, you know? It's in, impossible almost to imagine something like this. And uh, this was the sound from the game when you watched on TV. But do you know how loud that sound was when you watched it live? Like if it were bitter? Yeah, right. I mean, it would be so loud, right? And uh, um, I found this video where someone recorded the game live and you can hear the bomb in the background. And it, it is pretty scary, man. It yeah, is right. pretty scary. like you said just kind of scary you're wondering some some sections of the crowd i'm sure could realize that wasn't quite a firecracker sound or some sort of smoke bomb or whatever wondering what that was what that could have been and then as news starts to to trickle around you rumors start to fly around exactly then there's this tension among the whole crowd this uh, confusion right confusion that's right like what what's happened is there a bomb that went off two bombs i think actually went off yeah. one after the other was there another one that was supposed to go off, right? Uh, but I have to stress, like you said, it's good that there was supposed to be a third one mm -hmm. um, with a man going into the stadium. The other two, I think, were just outside the stadium, the, the or the other one or two. Yeah. Uh, but the third one was supposed to go into the stadium, but the police did well to stop it. And the police did a very good job in securing the crowd and the people and yeah. the fans because... Once a panic happens, that's a very unknown phenomenon within the psychology of human beings because you you don't really you don't you very rarely experience those panicking modes, but it was very avoided in this in that's this right. game. You know, when that kind of panic arises, then it's all about kind of like survival in your own life and know. you know anything can happen at that point i know and i mean this was good for i think this was good for uh the french police it was a good i guess show performance mm. by french security because this was just several months before the euros are supposed to take part oh, yeah that's true and uh so i mean people were worried if france you know how well were they going to be able to 
to host the such a major tournament how old were the police with all this especially this terrorism uncertainty around Europe and uh, while I'm sure some people were nervous I think the French police on this occasion the police on this occasion did a sure did a pretty decent job of it yeah and police has that important job of yeah. keeping people secure in the society and also be the face of justice and order in order true and something and it's a such a big disappointment to read and know about that this didn't happen after the Hillsborough disaster the Hillsborough catastrophe the Hillsborough twin Liverpool and Nottingham Forest 1989 they yeah. played a game and FA Cup semi-final exactly exactly and a lot of people came it was overcrowded and back then it was like behind the at this stadium which was I believe at the Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield Wednesday yeah. behind the goal it was like iron fences mm. so nowadays when you look at it there's like nothing that is total open right like it's barely you can't even get in on the page but back then behind the goals it was like an iron fence and so oh, many yeah. yeah and so many people came in and they didn't even really look it up like have tickets so people just got in got in and got in and it got such a big crowd and eventually um every time the ball came to liverpool side the crowd started to push a yeah. bit more and a bit more and the security really there was not helping to the situation you know they were going for a pretty long time that people were suffocating people were you know pushed to the fence that people needed to breathe needed to get out but there was n no one really that uh, came to the rescue and once they started to came to the rescue there was a big discussion between the police force if they were gonna open that one gate that people could come out or not and they didn't really do it man they opened it so people now really try to get out right and then they shut it and you have so many people that try to get over the fences the ref really called the game out and now you had a big tragedy ahead of you and uh, I want to take you to the live commentatory of this game while this was happening, okay? Mm. Dropping back to the halfway line, they're giving Liverpool plenty of space. Interesting that the crowd has uh, spilled over onto the perimeter there. This is a match, of course, that everybody, but everybody wanted to see. And the police have taken the decision that they've got to open the gates to ease the crush. At the other end, it's McMahon against Walker. Forest defender gives away the corner. That's how Ray Lewis saw it. It may not have been how Des Walker saw it, but the man in black is the man who counts. I think that was a perfect example of what I was talking about. Hansen got on the ball and what's, what's happening in Liverpool. Mid midfield players are making the break. And I think uh, Forest shouldn't do this. They shouldn't give them that much room at the back because they've got too many good players who can use it too well. There's the corner and the crossbar saving Nottingham Forest for Peter Beardsley's shot. Whistle's gone for a free kick, but Peter Beardsley coming so close to scoring the first goal in the cup against Steve Sutton. Nobody picked Beardsley up, but what a super volley. Keeper stranded, and the crossbar to the rescue. Chapman now for Forrest. Gaynor on the overlap. Ball is out, said the linesman. Roll to Liverpool. 
police are on the pitch to tell the referee to stop the proceedings because the, uh, there is danger here that the crowd is going to encroach upon the pitch because of overcrowding at the back of the goal and the referee is taking the players off the field. So this FA Cup semi-final has been interrupted after six minutes because of uh, crowd problems here. Capacity of Hillsborough, 54,101 and it would appear that too many of them are on that terrace behind Bruce Grobelar's goal and Ray Lewis, the referee, is doing the sensible thing in taking the players away off the pitch until the South Yorkshire Constabulary sort out the problem. If you look at today's soccer, they don't have this type of danger inside the stadiums. No. I mean, yeah, police are, I guess, more advanced and more well-prepared. I mean, looking back at the at just the state of football stadiums of the time, I guess maybe particularly in England, but around around the world I suppose but you know they had those uh, terraces right rather than uh, you know traditional seats like you yes. normally see yeah. now so very often in England at the time would you get a stadium that was maybe like Anfield that maybe is supposed to hold 40, 50,000 or so but it sometimes holds twice as much or Hillsborough which is supposed to hold like uh, I think like 30, 40,000 something like that mm -hmm. but it could hold twice as much it would fit uh, twice as say. much you know so uh, yeah. Um, yeah now with the all Cedar stadiums which came as a result of this disaster yeah then uh the the, the capacity is pretty strict it's pretty set Forty-five thousand or so that's that's it Fifty thousand. that's it not much not higher than that. Yeah. yeah yeah and this tragedy and disaster from history really set marks in the history of soccer all around the world 96 people died and 766 people got injured and a lot of people also committed suicide and fell into you know really hard mental disorders because of the tragedy itself you know they yeah. were walking on bodies they were uh, running from death and uh, even more they got another hit by the media and also by the police yeah i mean uh, the police were coming up with statements that were false yeah. they were saying that it was liverpool supporters fault it was hooligans it was you know people were drunk and they really caused it i mean liverpool was a not just Liverpool, but I guess English fans, fans in particular, were a pretty easy target because of the fact that things could get so rowdy, so congested with the hooliganism, which was a major problem in England at the time. I guess that's uh, that sort of made them an easy target for the police and for media to just you know shift the blame away from themselves uh, or from the true culprits and uh, put it on the fans. No justice there, man. No, there's all. there's no justice there. And for so long, supporters of both teams and the entire, you know, the people that were involved, the families that lost their sons and daughters or friends, they seeked truth. Yeah. They seeked justice. They wanted to know what really happened. And since the police never came up with the right information, they falsified it, this became a very nasty story. This became, a, you know, a try to kind of cover the fault the fault in the police security mm. by not admitting what really happened and by pinning the blame 
on someone else. And innocent people. Innocent people, that's right. You know? And uh, it's very heartbreaking to listen to when Bruce Gravelar speaking about this day at this game, you know? He was right there and saw everything happen. Yeah, the and Liverpool goalkeeper, right? Yeah, yeah. And he explains it very vividly about what happened during that game. Mm. And um, I think it's worth to listen so we can kind of understand what really happened. Kicked off. I'm in that lipping lane's end. Yes, it was still in the middle section that it was really getting chock-a-block. And 90 seconds into the game, we hit the crossbar. And so there's a great roar, and then there was a surge. You could, you know, just like a... They came up the field, the ball went into their pen, and as I went to get the ball, you saw the faces against the fence, and, and people saying to you, Bruce, can you help us? Please, you know, they're killing us. And I'm thinking, well, who, who? And then when I picked the ball up and I realized that they were, you could see the surge come again, I put the ball down, kicked it up, I turned around and you saw the people getting up to the top into the stands. And a lot of the fans and a lot of people were saying, get down you city thing, you know, you can't come up here, we're full. But they didn't realize that they were, they were standing on bodies. They were wanting to get up as quick as possible. The ball came back. I asked the person near the gate, please open the gate. And they said, well, I can't, the steward has got the key. And I said, can't you see that they need help? We got a hand on our shoulder from one of the coaches and they said, get into the dressing room. And that's when we went into the dressing room. There was no really real talking. Um, one of the fans came in and he said, I've seen 10 dead bodies already and it's a disaster. So Kenny ushered him out because he didn't want to upset the players. And then the referee came in and said, no, the game's been called off. And from that moment on, we didn't say much to each other. We got on the bus with their families. It was one and a half hour, two hour journey back to Liverpool was listening to the radio and the radio coming through 20 bodies, 25 bodies. And I think it was when we when got to 30 bodies, we switched off the radio and waited until we got home and saw the, what, what it unfolded. It was one of the worst times of my life. But had it been at another club, I think I might, you know, everybody might have been, you know, say, this is it, I, I don't want football anymore. But because it was Liverpool Football Club and what we did and how we got around it was, was fitting because Liverpool is a city of, of family. It's very hard to listen and kind of understand that this happened, you know. It's not few people we're talking about, it's a no, lot yeah, of people. One of the biggest you know, stadium disasters in uh, history. History, really. yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, you can really tell how much this is in Liverpool supporters' DNA. Yeah. They have uh, monuments, they have museum, they have tribute games and this is a story that will forever go on even have been going on among the supporters that actually live this and the families that seek this justice you know I cannot even imagine like the the second killing almost right the second harm that was done to them 
for all, all yeah. these years, like being blamed that it was your son's fault, uh, is is not the security, and uh, it had to come to a conclusion because it was so many question marks. It was really confusing for everyone, and uh, they decided to have a council that would investigate even more, bring in new evidence, go through the old evidence, and after twenty one years, man. After 21 years from the Hillsborough disaster that really was tragic came to its justice. And that's the right thing to do. Eventually the truth will come out and the justice will shown to what really happened. And it was a big day for Liverpool supporters they knew about this and just been waiting for it but yet never got the chance. And I am sad about those that passed away before they got the justice. But it is so right thing to do, even though it was late, to still do it. The day when David Cameron, the Prime Minister of UK, in the Congress, uh, apologized for the injustice and the un ethical work of the police not to report the right thing mm. the, the right the right information in in the congress and when that day happened i'm sure a lot of liverpool fans but also soccer fans in the world felt finally the good and justice won yeah i mean liverpool I believe every year they have uh, coming up. In fact, uh, maybe next week or in the yes. next couple of weeks to come, uh, they have this big, not necessarily celebration, but big commemoration mm -hmm. of the Hillsborough disaster in '89. Uh, like you said, it's such a big part of their DNA. This disaster, uh, even those that weren't even born at the time, but are Liverpool fans are so passionate about it because it was like a wrong it was like an injustice let alone to the club it was an injustice to the city almost mm -hmm. uh, and so they have this commemoration every year uh, coming up and it's like now that this you know now that this apology has come out this official apology has come out and and the uh, truth has been brought to light yeah uh, it's commemoration is almost becoming a bit more like a celebration in that uh, I don't want to sound disrespectful if, it, if, if I am but uh, it is a little bit more like a celebration now that they can finally feel at ease that at least their loved ones that passed away have you know justice now have been I, I guess it's a celebration of them yeah right you know it's a celebration of them and um, the fact that the club is stuck together I mean Liverpool is stuck Liverpool as a city is particularly after this just united so much yeah you know after that game liverpool played the fa cup final against uh um uh, everton okay of all teams wow. <laughs> so wow. and there was i even even right after this was just a couple months later but uh even then everton fans everton players liverpool fans and players were you know so united i think they were arms you know they all stood mm. intermingled together before mm -hmm. the game and such Mm -hmm. uh, so just everyone has been you know rallying around Liverpool since then, um, and they can feel a little bit at, more at ease now that justice has. I think so too. We hope so too, right? Yeah. Mr. Speaker, what happened that day and since 
was wrong. It was wrong that the responsible authorities knew Hillsborough did not meet minimum safety standards and yet still allowed the match to go ahead. It was wrong that the families have had to wait for so long and fight so hard just to get to the truth. It was wrong, quite profoundly wrong, that the police changed the records of what happened and tried to blame the fans. We asked the police to do difficult and often very dangerous things on our behalf. And South Yorkshire Police is a very different organisation today from what it was then. But we do the many, many honourable police, men and women, a great disservice if we try to defend the indefensible. It was also wrong that neither Lord Justice Taylor nor the coroner looked properly at the response of the other emergency services. Again, these are dedicated people who do extraordinary things to serve the public. But the evidence from today's report will make some very difficult reading. Mr Speaker, with the weight of the new evidence in this report, it is right for me today, as Prime Minister, to make a proper apology to the families of the 96 for all they have suffered over the past 23 years. Indeed, the new evidence that we are presented with today makes clear, in my view, that these families have suffered a double injustice. The injustice of the appalling events, the failure of the State to protect their loved ones, and the indefensible wait to get to the truth, and then the injustice of the denigration of the deceased, that they were somehow at fault for their own deaths. So on behalf of the Government, and indeed our country, I am profoundly sorry that this double injustice has been left uncorrected for so long. A lot of stuff. Busy weekend. Busy weekend for both of us, personally and for the soccer world. Yep. I think that's safe to say. Uh, big games that just took place and big you know, weekends for us. Uh, you went to CNN and you, you know, you did something new for new for yourself. I did, man. I did, and I took that challenge kind of on. And uh, even though I'm not trained, I'm not educated in it, and uh, it was my first time, and it kind of went live on the TV. Just remember this one point where I kind of got stuck, because I don't know how I can explain it. What happens in my mind, right? I'm listening in Swedish, translated in English at the same time and then you gotta somehow keep listening to what the words are saying and it's so hard to kind of take everything in what really happened right be in that grief or in that sadness right there you know while you're doing it and I'm not experienced in it so I was like okay just do it and see what happens but as soon as the you know the live feed from CNN went off I was like you know, usually I don't have time either for the grief yeah. either. You know? And uh, that's something I think everybody has to kind of find their own place for that grief. And it's different for all of, all of us. But what made me really proud, man, what made me really proud was the response from the Swedish people after this terrorist attack. They really got united. They really got with the message of, we will fight against this together. We will not let the darkness come into our daily life. We will be strong and we can only do it together. And you could see the Swedish people unite after a tragedy like this. And it's very similar to what happened in Liverpool after the Hillsborough. The city united, the city got strong. We never forgot it. and. We always remembered it and tributed and celebrated the people actually that lived. And even though it took 21 years, 
we got I'll speak like a Liverpool supporter I'm not I'm speaking from a standpoint of really soccer supporter here right right and uh similarly France was undergoing some really hard times still going under you know some you know, repercussions from the past couple of years with terrorism and whatnot and uh and the the sadness or disappointment that I think you mentioned it that someone could use a soccer game which is what some would for me would be and for a lot of people would be a great way to get away from from all this or to, yes. or to help me cope with yeah. any sort of grief on the outside uh, to use that as platform of darkness of you know terror it's so upsetting yet like with Liverpool like with Sweden, like with so many other places, Belgium, the world Big completely world, united and yeah. stood with yeah. France in that moment, just as yeah. they're standing with Sweden, yeah. uh, just as everyone you know felt so bad for Liverpool. It kind of puts everything conscious, right? I earlier said what a tragedy it was to uh, watch the Arsenal game. It is not a tragedy, you know? It, 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 it is not uh, someone that you love, that lost the life, that you might never again hear a voice. And it's not kids in Syria. It's not kids in other parts of the world, in Africa and Congo. It, it is soccer. If We are very passionate about it, but it is sometimes tough to have those contrasts and perspectives, you know? Yeah. But the best part is still that we are keep understanding of the meaning of appreciation more and more and more, you know. Life is very fragile. Life is very fragile. And when something like this happens, people look to each other, give each other extra hug and extra support and extra love. And that's the journey that we are on. Yeah. Is the love revolution that the world really needs is the core emotion that nobody can actually explain but is the core solution to show compassion show trust and show love to one another so we can you know man unite <laughs> yeah yeah relish yeah relish uh your friends relish your family uh relish soccer and how it's meant to be which is you know a game and fun a lot of people's lives but something that's that brings so much joy to people so and to the world so you know relish it and don't take it for granted for sure uh go out and give someone an extra hug <laughs> well said my friend well said thank you for listening to the 13th episode of the oz catching king soccer podcast, podcast show the world and where we What's the purpose of this pain? You might be powerless at times Wanna make it disappear Cause every time you feel weak